You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Now Jones escapes pressure, fires downfield, and it's caught! Darius Slayton! Man, this kid is awesome. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Hey, Grump, we're going to have to power through today. I know we're both kind of in the uh, the walking wounded this evening. I uh, cracked a tooth last weekend, and I just got it uh, repaired, and the Novocaine is wearing off, so my mouth is killing me. Yeah. So that's, that's what you get for being such a hard partier. I know you were you were breaking open beer bottles with your teeth. Oh, it's absolutely. It's eventually going to catch up to you. That's right. You know, I was in celebration of a yet another um, – Dominant performance of my Rays over the uh, <laughs> pathetic Yankees. So all you Yankee fans out there, are they in last that. place they, in the entire MLB or second? They have they have the worst record in the American League right now. You know, after telling us all off season how much better they are than the Rays, and uh, that'd be sixteen out of nineteen regular season wins for the Rays over them. Um, all right, and now that we just had half of our audience shut off the podcast, uh, I I am actually. By by midday today, started suffering from side effects from my second vaccination. So I'm just just chilly and tired and ugh, just not really feeling not really feeling my greatest. But that's okay because I put all the work in already. So this episode is going to be a doozy anyway. We are going through the wide receiver position. This is probably the most probably the most interesting position group because this is. Um, I, I feel like probably the consensus uh, for what the Giants are going to do in the first round of the draft um, is either this or offensive line. And we already, you know, th- the offensive line was thankfully split into two episodes. This one, this one is one episode. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll jump right into it. Let's look at what the Giants currently have on their roster. Right now, they have filled out their roster using free agency. Um with with Golden Tate being severed from the roster, they they went out and they purchased Kenny Galladay. It was their big fish that they they you know wrangled this off season. And um, you know he's he's the number one guy. He's the tall guy. He's the fast guy. He's the one who you know all defenses are going to have to you know plan A is to shut down Kenny Galladay. And they have him signed up through 2025 with a possible out in 2024. Let me ask you something, Grump. You know, right now we are in that post-free agency, pre-draft. Would you say, you know, kind of with sort of hindsight, side of foresight, the biggest need on this team and on this roster was getting a number one receiver? Um, I don't know if it was the biggest need, but it was a really, really big need. Uh, you know, obviously the the argument is always is, uh, you know, what's more important, an offensive lineman or, you know um, – a, a wide receiver. The guys to throw to are the guys protecting the quarterback. They're both super important, but um, the Giants have in the past dumped a lot of energy and investment into the offensive line. Uh, in, the, in the you know last year, uh, with three offensive linemen in the in the draft, um, and now it was it was just time. It was time to um, uh, put some investment into the skill position out there. And they, they did a lot. You know, they, they went out, they got Kenny Galladay as the big fish, right? But they, they also, they, they in the middle, middle of the season, went out and got Dante Pettis. They got him on waivers. He signed through the end of this year. They went out and they signed John Ross, who's the speedster who's going to take things up over the top. Um, you know, and then on top of that, they still got, they had previously extended Sterling Shepard. They like what he brings to the table. Um, he's He signed through 2023. He does have a possible out at the end of this year, but um, you know they do that, that. That's more protection in case you know. I'm sure his concussion injuries uh, factored in a little bit to that. Um, and Darius Slayton is still on a rookie deal until the end of 2022. So, yeah, my my point why I asked the question was that it really changes the uh, the outlook of what we're thinking about in the draft. Where you know you could take your pick. What was the biggest need? I, I you know. The definite, the conclusion I think from from free agency is that we did solve an issue that 
the trying to get a number one receiver is done. Like it's not something that is still lingering out there that we still have to get one of those. Like we can always use more offensive linemen. We could always use depth everywhere. We could always use an S rusher, but we don't have to worry about getting a number one receiver anymore. However, you know, as we all know in this league, you know, nothing is forever. And with Galladay's injury history and, you know, who knows with, you know, what the cap could be like in two years with this team, you might see, you know, we may double up. So I, my, my point of this is that don't assume that, you know, that we filled a need that we're just moving on from that with this draft that, you know, I think it's a very, very strong possibility you might see best available being a wide receiver and us taking again. Yeah, you know what? I would I would take it even further. I think they could draft two wide receivers in this draft. And there's a reason for that. You know, Sterling Shepard, I think, is in their plans for the future, but only for about another two years. Darius Slayton, only for about another year before they have to make a decision if they want to keep him or not. Behind that are only stopgap solutions of depth with Dante Pettis, John Ross. Those guys, their contracts expire after this year. So they're set for this year if for some reason no wide receiver that they deem worthy of their their pick placement is, is there. They can completely ignore it and be okay this year, but that's not how you do things, you know. Obviously, so you you want to build up some depth, and uh, you know I think that they can look to have a possible replacement to groom behind Sterling Shepard and behind Darius Slayton. I don't think that that's unreasonable whatsoever. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's about fifty fifty if they double up or not. You know, and and again. You know, we say this every single week. When you get to the later rounds of the draft, you're taking talent. You're not filling a need. You know, those guys, they might make the roster. They might be special teams. They might be going to the practice squad. You're banking on talent and ceiling at the end of the draft and, and just guys falling for some stupid reason. Uh, you're not really looking to fill any sort of roster hole or anything like that that late in the draft. Right. But I, I think, you know, at the top of the draft, that's something that, uh, you know, what does this offense ultimately want to be too? You know, what is in the perfect world? What is the, uh, what is this offense? What are we, what are we going to try to do? We're going to be more of a, you know, centered around a Saquon Barkley, more of a ball control, you know, focusing around him, or are we going to try to be more of a vertical threat and more of a third vertical threat with more receivers, you know, that can stretch the field. So again, this is still, you know, it's one thing to kind of say, you know, filling gaps of missing pieces on this roster, but now it's also roster building for a specific purpose, something we haven't done in a very long time on this team. Like we haven't been building to be anything in a while. And now we have the opportunity to do that since what happened is really start from scratch. You're right. We can really shape an identity. And my hope, honestly, is that this team starts building towards a roster that we saw more in the vein of a Kevin Gilbride style offense. When when you say you get the hog mollies on the offensive line, when you, you you know you have a running back as dynamic as Saquon Barkley, and then you get a guy like Kenny Galladay on the outside, and you you have a, a nice slot guy like Sterling Shepard, you really open up the possibility for that you know run first and then you know take your shots deep. You know the, I think the biggest problem last year is that they simply didn't take shots deep, whether it was a talent issue, a scheme issue, or more most likely a combination of both. Um, you know, that's, that's what I think they are shaping up to. I mean, they certainly went out and they got a lot of weapons. You don't get a John Ross unless you're trying to stretch the field. I mean, that is his specialty. That's what he does. Right, and a good thing the way this roster is now as opposed to two years ago is we didn't get John Ross to count on him to be a number two receiver. Sure, that's a big we, part we, as well. We counted on him that, A, hopefully he makes the roster, which is not a guarantee, I don't think, and, and, and B, a very specific role and not trying to be something he isn't. We're not trying to – we're not asking him to be a Swiss Army knife. We're not asking him to be something he isn't, you know, a very specific role. And, again, that's another sign that this roster is starting to, you know, be more a complete NFL roster than just, oh, we just got to fill – you know, we don't have anybody. We got to – whoever we can get, mm-hmm. we're past that now. Yeah, and I, I, we would be remiss to leave out Evan Ingram from this conversation only because he is a dynamic part of this offense. You know, he is a receiving threat. That is what he does best. That's his specialty. 
um, certainly more than being a traditional tight end. Um, you know, as of right now, he's on the roster for this year, I think. You know, they, they've exercised his fifth-year option, and, um, you know, barring some move on draft day or, you know, whether they draft a guy that's going to just completely replace him or, or what, I, he's here, right? I'll, I'll even take it a step further. You know, the coaching staff has a lot more trust in Evan Ingram than the fans do. Just because the fans are out on him, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, this coaching staff doesn't think he is, you know, a de facto number one receiver on this team too. So that's something to kind of consider also. So while we're kind of thinking, will he even be on the roster? Will he be traded? Will he be cut? Will they not resign him? Blah, 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 blah. Guess what? <laughs> this coaching staff has a different opinion of him. Yeah. And I, I don't want to belabor the point, but I, cause I've said it a million times, but you know, He's also been completely misused to his skill set. You know what he did at Ole Miss is not at all what they ask him to do. You know he's not he's not that possession tight end that's going to run five yards, turn around, make a catch, and be effective. He is a stretch guy. He he's the guy that whether he's here or not, you know, if they if the offensive scheme uses him to his strengths this year, he'll be a lot more effective than what we've seen in the past. You know, or if he's not here, when he goes somewhere else, he could he could be effective somewhere else that decides to use him in the way that he was effective in college. You know, it, I I don't really know what I'm getting at here, but uh, just 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 saying that Evan Ingram is not he's underperformed, and uh, Giants fans have a right to not you know want him around anymore. I guess he just has not shown anything, but the coaching staff probably does not view him that way. Exactly. And that's going to impact how we use our receivers, too. You know, we're not going to go to five wideouts most of the time if Evan Ingram's on the field. And they're, they're going to look to him as not just a guy running routes. He's going to guy they're going to be looking to to get the ball to quite a bit. With that said, um, you know, we've said it a couple of times uh, in the last month and a half, probably. Where you know the Giants have have built a roster in the last few years, and they've they've spent strategically in free agency to allow themselves to play this draft however it falls to them. There is no need for them to trade up. There's no need for them to hope a guy falls. There's no need for them to do anything. They are free to do as they please in this draft because they have an NFL starting roster there. So with that said, even though you know, Kenny Galladay is your number one receiver. There, there's no reason to think that they won't take a wide receiver at 11 if one falls to them. And there is a good chance of that. You know, we see there's at least three quarterbacks that are likely to go in the top 10. Kyle Pitts is a really big name. We've got some corners that are really good. We've got some linemen that are really good with Slater and uh, Penny Sowell. Um, and people are going to start falling. And there's three at the very top that are that are likely to have one fall. You know, I, I didn't even mention Kyle Pitts is another one that's going to cause one of these guys to fall. But So we'll go in the in order. These are all SEC guys, so you are just as intimately familiar as you know I am. Um, <laughs> we'll start at the very top. I think is I I think is the consensus number one receiver in this draft, and that's Jamar Chase from LSU. Um, opted out of 2020, but did not at all hurt his draft stock. Yeah, it's it's how uh, people kind of quickly forget that that LSU offense in 2019 might have been the best I've ever seen in in college football. You know, certainly up there in the SEC for best ever. You know, having guys like obviously with Joe Burrow and stuff, and just the receivers, guys all over the place, wide open all all the time against elite defenses in you know the SEC, and then uh, you know in the playoff and everything. He's a stud. And, you know, I don't blame – I know I know some people are going to have some questions about guys who opted out. But if you are a guy that's a top-five pick, and everybody knew who would be a top-five pick even last year, it's a business decision. And I you're always also, put things, You're also watching your quarterback leave too. Right. And I always put – I always ask the same question always. What would you do in this situation where you have – Millions and millions of dollars staring you in the face. And in a situation like Jason, these guys at LSU, 
you already won a national title. You already won an SEC. You know, the, the odds of that coming back and doing it again are pretty remote, especially like you just said, when you had all of these guys leave. You had, I think, something like 19 starters were gone from that team from 2019 to 2020. You throw in all the uh, the unknowns with, with COVID, you know, not being ready to prepare for a season, and just unknowns in general of like, you know, what can happen to you. I think these guys were smart. If you are, you're a guaranteed elite level, can't miss high draft pick. Now, some of these guys, you know, who did it, who probably are mid-round picks, that's, you know, it's your right and your decision to do it. But for guys like this, I wouldn't have one pause or question about anyone who did it. No, especially not at him. all. Not at all. And, and this is a dude who, I, I mean, I don't know. He, He's he is a legit number one wide receiver. I don't know what he can do better. He's incredibly fast. He he gets in and out of his breaks really quickly. He's tall. He's got long arms. He uses his body well. Um, he gets good separation. And the only thing that might be a little bit of a a phantom is that he did play in a very very good offense with a very very good quarterback. You know, this is one of the things that was so frustrating about me doing this year after year is that there are some guys that I see some skills and, and I can't fully analyze them because the quarterbacks that they're dealing with are dog shit. So, you know, there's a chance that we think a little bit more highly of Jamar Chase than what we're going to get. I don't think it's a very big chance, though. Yeah, but, but you know something, though? I, I hear that argument all the time. You know, we talk about, like, like, Mac Jones, for example. But you know something? When you are playing with elite talent, you have to hold your end of the bargain too. Yeah. And you know something is you don't want to be the weak link in a chain. You want to be solid too. And for a guy that can play with elite talent, you have to show you belong on the field. And these guys certainly feel like they belong. Like the Matt Jones argument, you know, a, a lot of people are saying that about him. It's like, well, how good is he really? Look who he had. But you know something, when you're playing in the NFL, you're playing with elite talent and you have to be able to prove you can play with these guys too. So that again is an argument I don't believe in. I don't subscribe to it at all. Yeah. The more likely guys to fall is Jamar Chase is probably going in the top ten. There's even a chance he goes in the top five. Um, or uh, where? What are the Bengals pick six? That's well, that'd be something. Yeah. That'd be something. A reunion of those two. Let me ask you something, Grump. You know, straight up, if you have your choice between Chase or Kyle Pitts, who are you taking? They're both on the board. For the Giants, or just in oh, just- general? Just in general, for you know, all things considered equal. You know, you you don't need a quarterback. You you could use a let's just say a number one ball catcher. Who are you taking of those two? Um I'm not really sure. I mean I I it might be Kyle Pitts and, and the reason why is because he's got the height. Um the the difference is that Chase is faster. Uh, but I, I, I think that there are some wide receivers that come out that are of Jamar Chase's caliber every few years. I, I don't know that I've ever seen somebody come out like Kyle Pitts, but it's close. You know, I, I'd be happy with it. either pick. I might even flip a, a coin. You know, I, I think that decision is usually mis- like roster dependent. But he's such a mismatch that mm-hmm. to me, you, you see a guy like that who because a, a physical freak mismatch with guys. They come along once every 10 years. Yeah. So to me, I, I uh, no disrespect to Jamar Chase. I'm not using any bias because he's LSU or anything, but that guy is in the draft every year. Yeah. I mean, how I mean often, just about, how like every two years about, or so, yeah. I mean, when was the last time we talked about a guy who's, you know, people who don't watch Kyle Pitts say, well, he's really a wide receiver. No, he's a tight end. When was the last time we've had a conversation about a position other than you know, uh, quarterback or offensive lineman or defensive end really legitimately being this highly, uh, you know, rated and high, you know, mocked up as high as a Kyle Pitts. It's, it's very rare. It's really rare. I mean, he, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, Pitts uh, as a receiver. He's really, really good. My, my only hang up is, you know, if I'm picking between the two, um, you know, you might if you're viewing Kyle Pitts as a tight end, he's not the best blocker in the world. So, you know, are you are you getting a full complete tight end or, or whatever? It's a really really minor, you know, 
you're not you're not drafting you're not drafting Kyle Pitts at four or five because of blocking. I know you're you're block you're getting him because of just that his extraordinary ability to do things that can't be defended. Yeah, and it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and like I said, for a number one wide receiver, Jamar Chase does not have the um, the elite height. You know, he does not have the Megatron height. You know, he's, he's only six one, six and a half feet, something like that. There's nothing wrong with that. He does not have bad height. He does, you know, play to his extension really well, you know, arms up, high points the ball really well. So he, he does play big, but, you know, he's smaller than Hakeem, Hakeem Nix. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's, not, he's not this, you know, true number one when you stare at his body stature. Six one, two hundred pounds. You know, he's, you know, he's your average receiver size he's just it, it, really it, fast if it, it, it feels like a guy if you have a really strong number two he'll be a lot better like he's not gonna you know mm-hmm. if, if he's like the the lone beacon of an offense you know a passing game he may not be as quite as successful if he has a vo- very very solid number two with him a, 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 a robin to his batman yeah and you know in in the I, I kind of dropped a, a correlation there I didn't realize but you know Megatron is that unicorn that we see every 10 years the way Kyle mm-hmm. Pitts is, you know, at a different right. position. And Jamar Chase is not Megatron. Uh, he's just very good. But the thing about a difference with a guy like, you know, you know, a Calvin Johnson or, you know, guys who come out is those guys are receivers and you know their number one corner is locking up on him. Mm-hmm. That's that's going to be the matchup the entire game. A guy like Kyle Pitts, who, do you, who covers him? I mean, you, you have to work on a combination of coverages. you got to disguise yeah, coverages. Yeah. You've got to – you have to work a whole defensive game plan. I mean that's right. that is it. You have to have a combination of guys, zone coverage, man coverage. You've got to disguise it so the quarterback misreads it at the line or, or something. You know, it's it's tough. I don't know what you do, especially because as a tight end, he lines up all over the place. In line, right. in the H back position, out wide, in the slot. I mean, I agree with you. Yeah. Um that said, the more likely guys to fall to the Giants at eleven are the two guys from Alabama. Um Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, uh, both really, really good wide receivers, um, and they're a little bit different. You know, Devonte Smith is a little bit taller, um, and Jalen Waddle is a little bit faster and quicker. Um, I will say, for five ten, Jalen Waddle plays bigger than that. He does not look five ten on on film. He may look like it next to guys, but when he's running and you know the ball's in the air, he doesn't look five ten to me. Now, you've seen both of these guys up close multiple times. I don't know what your take is on them. Waddle had the bad injury. Yeah, that's year, true. Yeah. Which which really uh, you know I, I would I guess I say thank God for the rest of the SEC because you imagine having him in this offense with all the other, you know, explosive weapons they had, you know, ooh, God. It could have been uh, you know I, again that that LSU offense is still the you know I'd put that out there at one of the Spurrier offenses for the best I've ever seen in the SEC. But, you know, if Waddle played the entire season, I think he got hurt in week three. I think it was like the first uh, – the kickoff of week three. If he, if he plays a full season, his team averages over 50 points a game the entire year and probably, you know, makes games like the Florida game and the playoff that much more interesting, I think. Um, it's just uh, – again – Back to your point a little while ago is you're playing with so much good talent. How much? How good are you really? But I think these guys are just naturally gifted. You know, this guy's got, you know, really fast, great hands, does everything, and they're both returners an, as well. Kicking yeah, and the thing, and the thing also is this offense. You know, that's not what Bama normally does. If you go back the last, you know, and, and all the the great offensive coordinators they have, they've never been an offense that's just open it up and, you know, just bombs away and beat the shit out of you that way. It's usually, you know, think of the having the Derrick Henrys and having all these running backs. Like, they kind of had an offense with, I think, the Giants would kind of like to be with, uh, you know, with, with Saquon Barkley. So they kind of had to adjust what they do. I know they had uh, – Sarkeesian was their offense coordinator. It was a little more of a wide-open style uh, passing offense. But these guys, the talent they had – forced some adjustments to be made to tailor their strengths. And, you know, I think 
all things considered equal, if he wasn't hurt, I think he's probably the best of the bunch from the, from the Bama receivers. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think that they they I think both of these guys can play wherever you put them in the slot or out wide or whatever. But I think traditionally at the NFL level, you're going to rather see Waddle in that slot position and Smith out wide. Um, and like I said, with with Darius Slayton only signed through 2022, with Shepard only signed through 2023, they're capable of replacing either one of those guys with whoever falls if they want to. Yeah, and again, you know, I, I've said this on the show several times. Darius Slayton's nice. Darius Slayton's also very replaceable with an upgrade. You know, we don't have to we don't have to upgrade him, but he is not preventing me from any, making any business decisions or personal decisions, short term or long term, at all. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, I would say even Sterling Shepard as well. Uh, this is a guy that you've had. You put him on a second contract. He's got possible outs for a reason. He's got a bit of an injury history. You like him, but if you find an upgrade, there's nothing wrong with getting him ready. I mean, you don't have to cut Sterling Shepard to draft his replacement. You don't have to. I mean, you can run packages for a year before you just part ways with him or, you know, whatever. So there's nothing at all wrong with that either. You can get ample playing time together. And also, you don't have to rush a rookie onto the field. I know these guys are all world talents. You know, Jalen Waddle could definitely start right away in the NFL but now he doesn't have to so if he's not ready you can work him in slowly couple packages here learn the playbook don't make any mistakes you know etc yeah and also you know we think things are going to be close to normal this year but they're still not quite going to be normal yet I mean we we didn't talk about this but a lot of teams are giving up on these you know Call them they voluntary practices right now. What are the, the Giants are one of them. Exactly. So again, immediately, okay, that's their decision. That's their right to do as a union. But now you're behind the eight ball where you would have been in the development of the 2019 season, for example. So you know, again, we haven't had a you know the draft hasn't happened yet, but it's not the normal. And when it's not the normal, you're behind the eight ball a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So there's another guy that's that's suddenly all over draft boards. He was much much lower, and all of a sudden he's like a possible first round pick. And I, you know, it's very interesting to me. But it's it's Kadarius Tony from Florida, five eleven, about 190 pounds. Uh, he's had a strange career at Florida. Very strange career. And again, as someone who's watched every snap of his, you know, he was a. Uh... Not the biggest recruit coming out of college. He was, a, you know, pretty big, an elite talent, but not a five-star guy. Was kind of a gadgety guy, you know. Ran lots in his first year. Didn't know really. Couldn't run a route, but you know, lots of end arounds, lots of you know, funky stuff like that. Um, there were questions about his work ethic. Did he, was he really serious about, you know, playing football? You know, he. A lot of Instagram stuff where he wanted to have a rap career and all this stuff and spend a lot of time in the studio and everything. And then finally, you know, there was thought he would come out last year, which everybody knew would be a big mistake. He came back and then this offseason, you know, the the light turned on. You know, we the Florida lost four receivers that went ultimately went to NFL camps or NFL rosters and. He became not just a guy who did end rounds and a guy who returned, you know, kickoffs or something. He became a legitimate receiver and a trusted receiver. Uh, you know, had a lot of catches, uh, very twitchy. I mean, everybody loves to do the the Percy Harvin role at Florida, which, quite frankly, there's not going to be another Percy Harvin. He's a one of a kind guy in the, at the college level, but he kind of filled that sort of role with them. And it's interesting. I, I I think he's a guy that probably benefited from not having to go through the combine and not going through, you know, the, the battery of questions and interviews. I, I think that he's a guy that's going to benefit from the tape he put on there and, you know, his performance at, at pro day. 
I know some guys, you know, they benefit, you know, they can look you in the eye and have a conversation. And I think that's good. This is a guy I think that probably is better off just letting the tape do the talking. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and it, it, it's it's a bummer that he's shooting up draft boards because he could have been a sneaky guy to take later on in, you know, say the third or fourth round where I, I felt I felt like he kind of belonged, um, you know, just based on, you know, the fact that this group of wide receivers come out this year is, is so stellar and so deep um, that I, I feel like he kind of went unnoticed at Florida – in in the grand scheme of things, mainly because of Kyle Pitts, um, but he had a great year and he's incredibly fast. Yeah. He's really dynamic. He can play pretty much anywhere. He could even play running back on some plays. You know, um, you know, and he's, he's uh, as a, as a that. gadget play. I don't mean as a legitimate yeah. running back, but you know, he can take handoffs in the backfield. He takes direct snaps at Florida. Yeah, yeah. Uh, early in his career, he did that. He hasn't done that in couple of years now certainly since Kyle Trask became the um the quarterback no I mean uh, the, the point is his whole time there he was a threat with the ball in his hands it was only in the right. last year that he became a threat out wide and and running routes and he was actually he was actually one of those guys too where it's one of those you know you hear debates like why isn't the ball in his hands more I mean Florida's offense under Dan Mullen is it's spread out among everybody. You'll see a lot of games that, you know, nine guys, 10 guys had receptions during a game. You never see anybody with the huge numbers of like, you know, 13 catches for 220 yards occasionally, but it's spread out. The ball is thrown of multiple receivers, three, four running backs have eight to 12 uh, rushing attempts. That's the way he likes to distribute the ball on offense. So, you know, for Kadarius Tony, or really for any one of these, uh, you know, guys, don't worry so much about the numbers. Watch the film on them. Um, I I personally think if he shoots up to like first day or even second day on the, on the draft, I think that's a bit of a reach for a guy like him. Has had some injury issues over his career, not so much last year, but it's dinged up quite a bit. Different things. I think he's like a third to fourth round level talent who could outkick his coverage once he's in the league. But I don't know if I'd want to invest anything higher in him. And I just, you know, he's great, great in college. I, I just need to see it in the NFL level to, to believe it, that he'd be worth that high of a pick. Um, yeah. I, like I said, I, I agree with you. I think he was more of a third, fourth round pick guy. Um, especially in this crowded group of wide receivers, I you know not really totally sure what made him shoot up draft boards, but because it was kind of suddenly, it, you know, it wasn't when the season ended, and it wasn't because of his la- his senior year, senior year, I don't know, whatever his his final year, his twenty twenty season with Florida, um, senior year, yeah, it, it wasn't strictly because of that. It did the season didn't end, and he was a you know oh it could go in the first round, you know, it's just. You know, over the last month, his name just kept getting brought up more and more and more. You know what I think it is? I think there's so much time to talk about the draft. I mean, you are talking – what are we in our eighth week of doing like our little previews and things? I mean it's it's a long time, and what usually gets this chatter going are you know these dopey shows on, like on the ESPN where they start like – those storylines, you know, how often can you talk about Trevor Lawrence? Now often, although they keep trying to make up non-stories about Trevor Lawrence, but <laughs> at some point, you know, the, the narrative has to shift to what's next, what's next, what's next. And guys rise and fall for no reason. Yeah, I, and I think the same thing happens when, when, when you have a, a prospect that's a consensus, number one, it becomes the hot take to pick somebody else. And I think we see that every year, and we saw it this year with um, Penny Sowell. Left tackle for Oregon, you know, was everyone agreed? You know, he's he's the guy, and I still have him as my guy. And then suddenly it became the hot pick to say Rayshon Slater from Northwestern is the best, you know, and, and it it just becomes more fun to talk about and debate because it's something to talk about and not just an obvious choice, whatever. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I think that's kind of it. And guys get overblown, you know, and sometimes there's legitimate debate. Yeah. Um, I do want to I do want to shift the the conversation now. You know, Kadarius Tony is 
it, it appears he's going to be going in the second round, but he can sneak into the first. There's one guy whose name I haven't seen connected to the Giants much at all. He's probably a second-round pick, and that's Terrence Marshall from LSU. Um, he kind of had to step up into that number one role this year. He was, he was probably going to be the number two role behind Jamar Chase and probably would have had a really productive year if you know Joe Burrow was still there, but that wasn't the case. And, and so... We saw Terrence Marshall forced into the number one role. You know, he had, I don't even know the name of the quarterback at LSU. He's not very good. Um, you know, he's not hes not making any, anybody's life easy. I'll say that. Um, no, not at all. Except he, except for Florida. <laughs> he made our lives miserable. Um, but, but I like Terrence Marshall. And, you know, this is somebody the Giants could target in the second round. He's about 6'3 and a half or so. He's about 200 pounds. He's got excellent size. He could work on high-pointing the ball a little bit better and you know, using his arms to be taller than he is. But at the same time, when I watched this, his quarterback is wild with that. He didn't really have opportunity to do these things. You know, the, the quarterback sucks. Um, Remember the other thing, too, about LSU this past year is that Joe Brady left and went to Carolina. Sure, yeah. He's the architect. You know, it wasn't the offensive coordinator. Steve Engenzer was. But Joe Brady really was the, the architect around what that offense was. And losing him again in an off season, which has been our theme every single episode and during a COVID off season, everything changes and you don't have the chance to properly prepare for stuff like that. So keep that in mind when you're trying to evaluate guys like Marshall and, you know, don't worry about the numbers so much. Just look at the tape. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I noticed, you know, aside from the fact that he's got the height and he's, he's got, he's got good speed. I, I, I hate to say the word average because he runs it like a four five forty. That's, fast as hell but you know he's not he's not the elite level of 4-4 or faster um, but you know he runs routes really well but one of the things I noticed he's just such a good catcher he has great hands he has good concentration to catch when he's he's got you know defenders all over him he catches with his hands instead of his body he uses his body well to box out receivers again his quarterback's not doing him any favors and throwing him with a lead or anything He's often having to slow down, and he's physical. He he likes to mix it up with defenders on, on jams. He'll shed them on blocking, you know, running plays. He blocks pretty well. I like Terrence Marshall, and I think if they were to go uh, with an offensive lineman at eleven, the Giants said is, and Terrence Marshall's sitting there at the top of the second round when they're picking. There's nothing wrong with that, and throw him in as your as your number three wide receiver. Let him compete with Darius Slayton on the outside. There's I have no issues with that at all. Terrence Marshall, I, I think, projects to me as the ideal number two receiver on a on a pretty decent team, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you don't have to always draft these guys in the first round or they're bust. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with having that role in the league and being very solid and good at it. And I think that's that's a question of where do you see him on your board? And you know, if if he's projected to be a, a solid number two, you know, you don't have to get him in the first round or even the second round. Yeah, not at all. And and you know, I um I I don't know why his name isn't being connected a lot more and I'm wondering if it's because his 2020 tape isn't spectacular. And you know, I I, I encourage you guys to watch the 2020 tape and just see the passes that he's dealing with. It's not horrendous, but I mean there's nothing for him in the SEC to separate himself among the other great receivers in the SEC and, you know, just around college that coming out this year uh, with the passes he's being thrown. And then you look at the 2019 tape and it's, you know, it's split between. Well, you're going from Joe Burrow to Max Johnson. Exactly. I didn't even (laughs) know his name. Oh, it's Brad Johnson's son. Oh, okay. At the the, the end of the year. I mean, they, they, they bailed out of the, uh, the the starting quarterback and they came in uh, early December and that, and he beat us. So two generations of Johnsons have beaten us in the last 30 years. Not, not cool at all. <laughs> There's a joke in there. Um, <laughs> I was even going that angle. Uh, a polarizing figure is Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. Um, I don't like him. I, I think he's got great speed. He's a really brilliant route runner. Can't catch. And I don't like his hands. I, th- I think drops are too big of a problem. He's going to go too high for you to take a chance on him. Forget Rashad Bateman for me. The most the most important job a receiver has is catching the ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean that's basically it. You can run a three six forty. It doesn't matter if he can't catch. Yeah. 
There's a slew of guys that are shorter, and uh, I'm going to group them all together really quickly. Um, but I, I think that there's a clear top of top of this group, and Elijah Moore from Ole Miss is one of them, five nine. Tutu Atwell from Louisville, five nine. Rondale Moore from Purdue, five nine. Uh, and then you scoot down a little bit. Shy Smith from South Carolina is about five ten. Um, and Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan, five nine. Now, I oh, and sorry, and, and I shouldn't omit uh, Amari Rogers from Clemson, five ten. Uh, those are those are big name guys. They're all generating a lot of stuff. To me, and I don't know why it seems to be this way. Um, they're all over people's big boards in in an order I wouldn't put them in. To me, Elijah Moore from Ole Miss is is a real deal receiver. I would be you know again we're, we're talking about possibly you know getting a backup and a replacement for Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton. He is in the mold of the St- the Sterling Shepard, um, you know. With this height, that's this whole group is what we're kind of talking about here. Five nine, one eighty, but he plays so much taller than five nine. He he high points the ball really well, and he's really really good at catching with his hands and in stride. And he's got this blazing speed. I I don't know. I think he had a bit of a game against Florida this year. Oh yeah, I mean uh, that was kind of the height of uh, you know. Ole Miss came out of the gate and they was like they had these incredible offenses. They were getting like five, six hundred yards a game. You know, it was just uh, and that was just at the height of how bad Florida's off defense was. Also, that was a, a major shootout game and un uh, undefensible. We couldn't defend the guy. I had nightmares about him. So, yeah, I mean, these guys are they're all kind of like the similar size thing. It's just uh, again, it's just where do the Giants value? You know, a secondary receiver like that. Where do they really feel it's that critical to fortify that position? And they will. They may look at these guys higher up. Well, these these are guys I, I, I that I don't think are going in the first round. These are not guys at eleven anymore. We're talking about. Oh no, no, that's exactly second my and point. Third yeah, round. I mean, yeah. That's my that's my question. Is if you know, do they think that uh, you know, if, if they still want to go wide receiver for another thing, do they find? Do they? Do they value the position enough they, they want to dip into this, you know, pool of guys in the second tier? And none of them have, you know, the outstanding physical traits that kind of stand out or anything. They're all about the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that's where I think the question is, do they – do they they don't have to take a, a receiver just to just to prepare for the future or, or, or even for depth. It's just I, – I don't know if these this second tier is attractive enough that they want to take a shot at one of them with other needs that they do need to fill at this roster. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I, th- I think, um, again, we're talking about who's on the board when you're picking because, you know, as we said, mm-hmm. ad nauseum, the, the Giants have positioned themselves as a, you know, with a, a roster where they can just pick whomever they, they feel is worth it. You know, I don't, I don't really, I don't love Tutu Atwell from Louisville. I don't think he's he, – first of all, he's 160 pounds. That's too light. <laughs> That's uh, way too light. Yeah. Uh, when he gets to the NFL, he's going to have a uh, a rude yeah. awakening. He yeah. gets a crack the first time. Rondell Moore from Purdue I think is, is pretty pretty darn good. Um, um, you know, a lot of the same things that I said about Elijah Moore except he's a little bit, a little bit slower. Um, but again, you, both of those guys are dealing with shitty quarterbacks. Um Amari Rogers from Clemson, you know, I, I have questions about his speed. I don't know how I feel about him, but Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan, and I, I don't know why he's rated so low. I, I know it's Western Michigan and it's the Mac and, and whatever, but he was like a track superstar. He runs like a four three. He's got he, he and it's not just speed, he's a very sharp route runner. He's not just this Deshaun Jackson run go routes and outrun everybody. I mean, he's he's really good at cutting in and out of his breaks. He's smooth, polished, looks really good. He high points balls really well. Um, and one of the things I love, and I, I love this no matter what position, really, he's aggressive. I like the way he, he blocks. And for 5'9", he just runs straight into guys and pushes them out of the way as best he can. He's not the strongest guy or anything like that, but when I watch these guys, you can see where the effort is and where it isn't. And with him... 
I, I see it. I have I have no clue why he's rated so low. I would say that he's like a third round talent that I'm not seeing. I'm seeing him in mock drafts and on big boards in, in the fifth round. I don't know why. But if he's there in the fifth round, I'd f- absolutely take him for sure. Um, so if, if you guys haven't um, watched any highlight clips or, or film on Dwayne Eskridge, I highly recommend I, I don't really see what the big downside is with him. Um, let, let, me, let me ask you a question. You know, in all the tape watching, you not just wide receivers, but all positions that you've been watching this year, have you noticed overall like a noticeable difference in quality of players, just like fundamentals and, and things like because of the, the, the lost year of last year with the lack of, you know, instruction and coaching and reps during off season and practice time and, just general COVID stuff. Have you noticed an overall decrease in, in quality or is it really not that noticeable from this year to last year? I wouldn't say that. Uh, I would say that with the opt-outs, we saw a lot of uh, drop-offs. So you have guys like watching the tape for Tamari and Terry from FSU, who is 6'4 and 200 pounds. I was... I was really ready to see what this dude can do, and I, I it, it's not possible to grade this guy because Florida State had so many opt outs and so many people just skipped the twenty twenty season. Uh, yeah, the twenty twenty season that they were not. They didn't have a they didn't have a quarterback and you know a new coaching staff, so they couldn't really do anything. I mean, their their offensive line is. I I, I cannot emphasize enough how bad it was. I mean, every single play, the poor quarterback, whoever they put back there is running for his life the moment the ball is in his hands. So I, I can't grade a wide receiver much. You know, I'm, I'm, I can I can look at his route running as best I can, but I wouldn't even blame these guys if they started, you know, taking plays off later on in the year, given what they were doing there. I saw a lot of that. I saw a lot of, like, um, with some opt-out teams or guys who, you know, had major impact players opt-out uh just not perform what you'd expect based on 2019. Um, I saw mm-hmm. more of that than I did fundamentals, th- you know, things like that. Gotcha. Yeah. I do want to hear what you think of um, Trevon Grimes uh, because he intrigued me right off the bat with his measurables. It's 6'5", 215 pounds. That's an NFL body right there. Yeah. He was a transfer from Ohio State. He came to Florida before the 2019 season. Um, a little buried on the depth chart. I mean, we had all those guys that went to the NFL after the 2019 season, you know, the Van Jeffersons and and the like. Uh, had the chance to be the number one this past year. And again, like I mentioned before, there is going to be no true number one unless you are, you know, a gift from the gods <laughs> coming to, coming to Florida. And, but you know, he, you could see the progression from 2019 to 2020 that uh, became a, a reliable receiver. You know, you look at him and this guy just looks like an NFL quarter uh, receiver. Like you said, he just is, is a thick guy. Um, he improved, you know, game to game and, you know, year over year. Uh, I, again, I don't think he's a, Super high draft pick in the NFL. I think he's kind of a day three guy. I think he'll ma- I think he'll make a roster somewhere. I think he could be like a number two or number three receiver somewhere at the right thing. Um, but I could definitely see he's a guy. Then again, if there was a full combine, he'd be one of those. Wow, look at this guy, fantastic. Um, but you know, a solid SEC receiver. Not a not one of the greats ever, but solid. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I saw with Grimes uh, was he was just kind of average in a lot of spaces. You know, he's got that elite body type, but he's just kind of an average route runner. He's got average speed. He's got average hands, you know, a little bit inconsistent with, you know, sometimes he catches with his body a little bit more, which you don't really ever want to do. Yeah, I was going to say that. Like, that was one of the knocks on him when he first started. Like, he would, he's one of those guys that only caught the ball in his body, but one of those guys who would, like, jump to catch a ball that was right to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's. And at 6'5, uh, why are you doing that? Exactly. I mean, catch the ball in stride and run with it. Don't, you don't have to jump to catch a ball that's right at you. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's only two other guys I really want to mention that I really feel are worth mentioning, and it's because I think of them as day two guys, whether it be the second or third round. I don't know. There's so many wide. I watched wide, like a million wide receivers, you know, the last week. Um, but uh, they both look pretty similar to me. And one is Diami Brown from UNC. Both of them had terrible quarterbacks, by the way, so I had to do my best. Diami Brown from UNC. Uh, you know, six feet, one ninety-five. He's got he can he can play wherever you want to put him at, at that height. He's got such great hands. He's got really, really, really good speed and good quickness. He's got fast feet, uh, so he can break in and out of stuff. But what really set him Wait. apart for me? Go ahead. Well, I was say Sam Howell's not a bad quarterback. He's not very good. He's he's going to be in the NFL, Sam Howell. Uh, okay. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he's was he, uh, he a was probably this year? he was a sophomore, but he was probably top three quarterbacks in the ACC this year. That's not saying much. Uh, well, one of them is Trevor Lawrence. One of them is <laughs> Trevor Lawrence. Who's the other one? Yeah. <laughs> Wake Forest, Jamie Newman. Uh, well, Newman was at Georgia. No, um, uh, Wake Forest quarterback. His last name is Newman as well. I would say he's going to be solid. I mean, Howell's going to be in the NFL. I, I, I'll say trust this. My words. I'll say this. There was a lot of opportunity for Diamond Brown to um, have big time go route catches for touchdowns that were way underthrown. Um, that he just you know can't catch it. There's nothing you can do with a, with a ball that's like five yards underthrown. Um, he's not a terrible quarterback. I, I should take that back. But he he the quarterback play did hinder a lot of what Deami Brown does well, and that stretched the field. Um, and I think some of the the passes were a little bit late, where he he came out of his breaks at you know neck break speed and uh, completely turned around defenders, but the ball wasn't there yet, etc. But he's got good hands. So, you know, when the ball was there, when it was a little behind, when it was a little high, Brown will haul it in. But what really set him apart for me um, was, you know, UNC was a running team this year. Sam Howell being an NFL quarterback or not, they had two outstanding running backs. And you know why they were so good? It's because the receivers on the outside were also really good blockers in addition to that offensive line. Um, And he is a very good blocker for a wide receiver. Um that is something that Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman truly value. And I know that when you're looking at NFL talent in the draft, you you don't you, you're not overly concerned with and this team needs skilled players and it's a passing league. I, I know, I hear you, you're not wrong. They still write it down. It's still important. You know, it's the difference between um you know, an eight-yard run and a seventy-five-yard run for a touchdown is receiver blocking. North Carolina has got you know Mac Brown's their coach, and he's a really good coach. He's one of only I think, I think I read it's only one of four active or three or four active head coaches who's won a national title. Interesting. I mean, between Saban and uh, Dabo, you know, remember Urban isn't a head coach anymore. He's he's retired. Kirby never you know, won. Kirby, um, and also what's his name? It um, uh, Jimbo won one. I think Mac is the fourth. Wait, what one. about um, what about Coach O at um, LSU? He's one. He's the he's the he's the fifth one because they just fired uh, Les Miles. Has gone from Kansas, so he's no longer active. I mean, there's only like five head coaches that active head coaches that have won a national title, and Mac Brown is one of them. So well, they, they were good. They were a very good offense. Um, yeah. Overall, yeah, and it's, those two running backs are—I could watch them all. It's a tough, it's a tough place to recruit, Chapel Hill. They don't have that, you know, that commitment to football. They do it for basketball, no matter how much they cheat and have <laughs> fake, fake curriculums. Um, the other guy that's sort of similar in that vein is a—he uh, actually did have a bad quarterback, and that's Houston receiver Marquez Stevenson. Same build, six feet, one ninety, one ninety-five, somewhere around there. He is a sharp route runner. He was a bit of a part of an air raid offense. You know, it is what it is. But um, there's a certain skill set for that. And it's kind of what the Giants are trying to do with John Ross. So I I thought it was interesting. He is very fast. He has good hands. Um, He's not very strong. He's willing to hit. He doesn't have that same blocking that De'Ami Brown has. But, um, you know, 
he's somebody that I don't hear being talked about at all um, anywhere in connection with any team and uh, probably should be. So it's definitely somebody to keep in mind. Um, he, he just got that elite speed and quickness that you can't teach and he's a fluid route runner. You know, to me, the two most important things a receiver can do if I were to list them is how clean they, how cleanly they catch and how crisp of a route runner they are. Um, you know, route running creates separation at this at this level everybody's really fast so pure speed is not good enough it's it's how good of a route runner you are and you know it's not it's not the easiest thing to find at the college level so those two guys are guys in the second third round that you know that name starts circulating you might want to think about pulling the trigger on either one of them very interesting Well, especially like the difference between the college game and the uh and the pro game is the fact that you know a lot of receivers, they're just physically, yeah, physically more gifted than these corners. You know, back then, you know, there, there's, there are only a handful of corners around college are going to be in the NFL. There's a lot of very fast receivers who just burn them, and that doesn't happen in the NFL. There's talent all over the place. Yeah, especially when you get the the, the freaks at the smaller divisions. You know, when you get when you get a six five. You know, four or five running wide receiver playing against Tulane. You know, you're, right? You're you're gonna see right. some big numbers. So, um, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, there there's a lot of guys. Those are the ones that I highlighted. I'm interested to hear if you guys have some other ones I didn't mention. I probably watched film on them and just didn't mention them because they didn't stick out to me. But that does not mean that they shouldn't be in consideration at all. Um, the ones that I brought up are just the ones that I think are truly in play for the Giants. Early on, late, you know, anything goes. Uh, and I do expect them to. I, I think there's like an 80% chance that they take either a corner or a wide receiver in, you know, the sixth round of the draft. So, uh, you know, just because, just because, you know, it's it's one of those <laughs> positions you need depth. I, I, I mean, I think whether we draft one or you might see an unsigned free agent after the draft, I think you will see one or two more names that come into camp, you know, if for no other reasons is for depth reasons, you know, but uh, yeah, there, there will be some additions, you know, it again, depends on how it plays out with the actual draft and how, how it shakes out up at the top. And also, you know, just what our big board looks like and availability in those middle rounds. And that is it for our draft player preview. We have hit every position except for the specialists. I don't think we're going to do an episode on that, right? We're not going to talk about long snappers and kickers and punters. So um, that means that you can find me on Twitter at football underscore grump talking about the entire draft process and the big picture. Now that we have zeroed in on every single position and the Giants roster, it's time to start looking big picture. So that's where you'll find me. And you can find me as always on Twitter at the cranky fan where there is so much going on. You know, we get ready for the draft. I continue to wave my broom at you. Yankee fans Our Knicks grump. I know you could care less about basketball, but they've won six in a row and uh, they're making basketball great again here in New York. No one cares about the nets. So it's always I mean, being Nick town. So, so it's actually been kind of fun. Was it the, I was at the garden on uh, Sunday. The place was rocking. It was great. I like how nobody cares about the Nets actually a better team right now. Oh, they're a far better team, but nobody cares. I mean, it's <laughs> it, the, the Knicks, the, you know, you talk about a draft pick from three years ago comes in that gets more coverage than, you know, Brooklyn, who's the odds on favorite to win the, uh, the championship right now. It's great. <laughs> but for all that type of stuff, of course, uh, you know, everything going on, just uh, follow me on Twitter at the cranky fan. And this show, as always, can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, wherever. Um, the next week, we have a lot of really cool stuff. We're going to have multiple episodes uh, with other Giants podcasters, content creators, etc. Yeah, how about that? We actually, our, our first ever guests. That's going to be a pretty and some pretty exciting people that I'm sure you people are going to give any names yet, but people I'm sure that you follow and listen to as well. So. It's yeah. going to be really fun. So, and we're going to be talking all this big picture stuff. So, not one episode next week, but several. So, that's pretty awesome. Um, so, like I said, be sure to subscribe to us on those platforms for free. And um, 
all of these episodes will be right there waiting for you to listen to while you work. And um, you know, the draft is next week. It's crazy. You know, we've been, we you said earlier that you know it's we've been talking about this for eight weeks or whatever, but it's next week now. It's feels like time. six years. Yeah, I'm glad we're finally going to get there. And uh, what are we? Ten days away? Eleven days away? Ten days? Nine yeah. by the time you guys are hearing this. That's right. Exciting stuff. So we will see you guys next week with a bunch of different episodes with guests. So stay tuned. Um, go Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants.